and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 70. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, there's a new feature to the Drabblecast that should make everyone happy. Chapters. As our regular listeners know, we have numerous reoccurring segments on the show. 100-word Drabble stories, contests, poems, Drabble news, things that most people seem to enjoy. However, there are those that may want to skip past our sophomoric musings and just get to the story. Well, now they can. I swear, the things I do for you people. So, if you don't want to hear about awesome vampire catfish, just go on, skip ahead. Actually, this is pretty gross, so if you've got a weak stomach or you're a pansy, you'll probably want to take advantage of this new feature and skip forward. Still with me? I thought so. There are some pretty weird critters and phenomena out there that are so bizarre it's hard to believe that they're real. Listener Strawman said it best once in our discussion forums. He said, Creation is, after all, God's Drabblecast. And so we bring you Drabble News. Noodling. Perhaps you're not familiar with the strange term. Well, noodling is the practice and sport of fishing for catfish using only one's bare hands, mostly done in the American South. To begin, a noodler goes underwater to depths ranging from only a few feet to up to 20 feet, placing his hands inside a discovered catfish hole. If all goes as planned, the catfish will swim forward and latch onto the fisherman's hand, usually as a defensive maneuver in order to try and escape the hole. If the fish is big enough, the noodler can hook his hand through its gills and pull it out. Most noodlers have spotters who help them bring the catfish in. Some of the biggest fish caught weigh in at 50 or 60 pounds. Very few noodlers are strong enough to attempt noodling by themselves. Bad ass. Why would anyone do this, you ask? Why not just chuck out a hook, line, and sinker the old-fashioned way? Well, because that's not nearly as flippin' tight. Man versus beast in its purest form, there's nothing more macho, no sport manlier, than reaching underwater into a muddy hole, grabbing a beast of a fish with your bare hands and grappling with it to the shore. So I got to doing some research on this, and I came across a type of catfish that you will not believe. They live in South America, of course, the home of all nasty critters, including the botfly, the piranha, and the tadix, the candyroo, or vampire catfish. That's all I had to see. Those two words together, vampire catfish. I knew what I had to do. I emptied our PayPal account of all our generous listener donations and booked a flight to Peru to noodle for these bad boys. This is uh, pretty exciting. I'm standing here in the water in the Orosa River Basin in Peru near a small village called Suni Maranjo with uh, Paco Barbosa. Paco's a professional candy-roo noodler here in the river basin. Paco, you've lived here your whole life, right? Yes. I, uh, I see we have some company out there. Looks like a couple other guys noodling. Little, little competition, huh, Paco? Um, <laughs> hey, you guys having any luck? You guys, hello? I guess they don't hear me. Um, anyways, Paco, I'm really excited to get started here. I've never actually seen a vampire catfish before. I just was kind of Googling around on the, on the internet. I imagine this is going to be quite a challenge. Do they suck your blood, or what's the deal with these things? 
Eh, do you not know anything about these catfish? <laughs> well, I'm, I, I wouldn't say that exactly. I, I, I did grow up in Georgia. It's in the U.S. It's down south. Tons of people go noodling there all the time. We've pretty much got catfish swimming in our veins down there. So, yeah, I mean, I can, I can handle it and stuff. Oh, okay. All right, so uh, what do we got to do to get one of these suckers? Let's get our noodle on, huh? <laughs> got one. Whoa, that guy just caught one. Man, he was just standing out there in the water. This is going to be easier than I thought. Where's the fish? Eh? The, uh, the vampire catfish, where is it? I, I don't see it. The fish? Uh, in his... Uh, how do you say? In his pee-pee hole. Come again? Uh, the catfish is muy pequeño. When you noodle your chimichanga around in the water, it swim up your pee-pee hole and gets stuck. What? Chimichanga? What, what do you mean, pee-pee hole? Oh, you know, your urogenital canal. Uno mas. Dear God, that is not how you noodle. No, that is not how you noodle, weak Americans. But why would anyone do that? Man vs. Beast, in its purest form. There is nothing more macho, no sport more manly, than noodling a candy roux. Oh God, I think I feel one. I, I think I feel one. Get away from my chimichanga! I'm not making this up, people. The vampire catfish's fearsome and gruesome reputation stems from its reputed habit of following the scent of urine and entering the urethra of an unsuspecting human victim. The candy roux heads upstream, then secures itself in place with clusters of hook-like spines situated on its head. As the candy roux feeds, its body expands, causing excruciating pain. It's a catfish that literally can swim in your veins. Surgery, or amputation, for male victims, is required to remove the fish. According to folklore, the candy roux is said to be capable of following a stream of urine to its source, like some tiny X-rated salmon, even if the person relieving himself is standing on a riverbank. I've got a link in the show notes if you don't believe me. Vampire catfish are nasty little boogers. Speaking of vampires, on to today's story, Reality Bites by Jim Bernheimer. Jim hails from Chesapeake, Virginia, where he lives with his wife Kim, daughter Laura, and soon-to-arrive second daughter. An avid reader and writer of both fiction and nonfiction, this is Jim's first professional work. He's the co-author of the paranormal adventure novel Dead Eye, which is scheduled for a late summer release from Whimsy Hill Publishing. Joining me in the narration is the voice of Christina Colligan, a frequent reader and story contributor for the fantastic fiction podcast Well Told Tales. She's a writer, painter, and sculptor living in Southern California, and we're delighted to have her voice on the show. Stick around after the story, and we'll be airing a promo for Well-Told Tales. So, without further ado, Reality Bites by Jim Bernheimer. My apologies, Mr... The woman temporized while she pulled the man's file and opened it. Ah, Merrill. I had expected traffic to be much lighter at this hour, but I was quite mistaken. 
I hope you weren't kept waiting. Cheryl slid behind her antique desk and regarded the man in front of her. I want my money, the dark-haired man demanded as he beat his fist atop the fine oak desktop. I quite understand, sir. However, as a member of the legal team here at Fundamental Insurance, it is my fiduciary responsibility to my clients to represent their best interests. The man squeezed his hands together hard enough to make the knuckles crack. My claim is valid. Why aren't you people paying me? Cheryl sighed. This was the part of the job that she didn't like, denying people their claims. Well, Mr. Merrill, as my associate informed your brother, it is the official opinion of Fundamental Insurance that you are not dead per se. You see... She was rudely interrupted. I've been turned into a goddamn vampire. I'm dead. Look, I have a death certificate and everything. Check my heartbeat. Nothing. She nodded sympathetically. Technically, the term you are describing is the living dead, or the undead. You took out a policy with fundamental insurance, ensuring that upon your death, your beneficiary, one... She checked her file. Darius Merrill would receive the sum of $500,000. Fundamental's position is that since you have not fully experienced your death as of the time of your claim, and indeed since that time, the terms of your policy have not been met, and therefore fundamental insurance shall not pay out. No, no, no. The government says I'm dead. They're already trying to tax my estate. If I don't get that money, they're going to auction my house off. You could challenge that. I read an interesting article about a terminally ill patient in Mississippi. His wife took him to a voodoo priestess and transformed him into a zombie. Last I heard, there are appeals pending, but it gives you a leg to stand on. This is insane. This is how your company treats me? I've never once missed a payment. Cheryl's brow furrowed as she checked her file. Technically, sir, you missed last month's payment. You'll likely be receiving a warning letter in the mail soon. Mr. Merrill grew more frustrated. Oh my god! I was just killed last month! You've got to be kidding me. You're sending me a bill? Cheryl remained cool. Sir, legal and billing are two separate divisions here at Fundamental. You always have the option to terminate your policy. Why in the world would I continue paying for a shitty policy that you have no intention of honoring? Fine, I'll see your asses in court. Mr. Merrill, that avenue is certainly open to you. However, you'll want to think long and hard about it. First, you'll have a jury of people deciding your fate. Fully living people, Mr. Merrill. You'll likely have to testify in front of them, which means a special evening session, and they're likely not to be very pleased at missing time with their families. After you explain your story to the jury, I will get to ask any relevant question I wish. The jury will know exactly what you are now and where you get your food. She paused for effect before continuing. Mr. or Mrs. John Q. Public has a tough time coming to grips with people with your condition. I'm sure you'll have a very compelling story about how your transformation came about. Oh, freaking... Wait, hear me out. The jurors will see you sitting there. A bit pale, but overall not too out of sorts. We'll bring in expert testimony and other vampires. They'll be informed about your superhuman strength, 
ability to turn into bat or wolf, and near immortality. After they hear all that, how favorable of a judgment do you think you're going to get from a bunch of people who couldn't get out of jury duty? He slouched in the leather chair and looked dejected. So you're saying I'm screwed? She tried a reassuring tone. Nothing of the sort. I'm advising you that I will vigorously defend my client's position. You could win, but this will drag on for a rather long time, and the government will move against your estate in the interim. You can forestall that with the not-being-dead defense, but that would severely undercut your legal position against my clients. The man in front of her looked out the window for a moment, making her wonder if he would capitulate. Finally, he turned back to her. Cheryl, was it? I think we got off on the wrong foot, Cheryl. I'm sure there's a reasonable resolution to this problem. Cheryl stared into his large brown eyes. The pools of chocolate were pulling at her and generating a pleasant sensation. She giggled slightly. Of course, Mr. Merrill, I am more than willing. I mean, my clients are more than willing to work towards an amicable solution. His eyes seemed to grow even larger, and Cheryl felt the need to arch her back slightly. Was it just her imagination, or was something a bit off with the thermostat? She felt very giddy. She partly hoped that Mr. Merrill wasn't picking up on any of this, but another part of her wanted him to notice. Now, Cheryl, am I understanding that you pretty much have Fundamental's ear on this? Whatever you recommend is what they'll probably go with? She leaned forward, twirling a strand of hair with one of her fingers, and hoped that he enjoyed the view down her blouse. Yes, Mr. Merrill, you are correct. He gave her a delightful smile. I don't want to argue with such an attractive young lady like you. We should be talking about more interesting things, shouldn't we? She giggled again, which was entirely out of character for her. It was a far cry from the hard-nosed ferocity that propelled her through law school. Her giggle was more like the tittering of some vapid blonde from the secretary pool. It was rather embarrassing. After drifting for a moment, she responded in a rush. I agree. What would you like to talk about? <laughs> well, we have all night. Why don't you just recommend that your clients go ahead and pay me my claim, and then we can go somewhere nice and talk as much as you would like. That sounds wonderful, but then everyone would make fun of me. He looked confused. Now, how could anyone make fun of such a striking young woman like yourself? Because they wouldn't let me forget that you got me with one of the lamest hypnosis attempts ever. <laughs> Cheryl smirked, sitting back up and turning off the awestruck little girl routine. Mr. Merrill was in obvious shock at her sudden turnaround. What? Oh, come off it. You don't seriously think I'd fall for that one, do you? That might work on some weak-minded idiot, but I'm a professional, sir. While the video camera wouldn't have caught your image doing that, I assure you that the audio track captures your voice just fine. You can add that to the things that we'll bring into court with us. Judging by the rage on the man's face, obviously she had pushed him just a bit too far. 
He leapt into the air like a volleyball player and swatted the camera, ripping the plaster out of the wall and smashing the damaged equipment across the room. Landing, he spun towards her, his eyes glowing red and both his fangs and claws fully extended. His clawed hands swept the phone off her desk. I'm tired of listening to you. Maybe I'll show you what I can really do. Do you know what it's like? Well, I'll show you. He leapt at her, vicious and intent on killing her. Lightning fast, Cheryl caught him by his throat and held him in mid-air, effortlessly. Now, that wasn't very nice, Mr. Merrill. Apparently, you need a bit of an education. She dragged him over to the framed university diploma on the wall. What's this? The vampire struggling in her vice-like grip gurgled something marginally intelligible. Correct. It's my law degree from Stanford. Now, look at the date. That's right. It says 1958. I'm not just a bloodsucker in the figurative sense. Of course, that was after spending the better part of 40 years as a nurse. I look pretty good for an old broad pushing 115, don't I? Cheryl let her fangs grow and pushed him up against the wall. She used her free hand to scoop up a solid wooden stake concealed amongst her law books. God, you're so new that you still smell like them. I think I have a solution. I'll dust you right now and your brother, Darius, can collect your policy. Maybe I'll deliver the check myself and use my own little charms on him. Make him sign it over to me? How's that sound? Think Darius would enjoy that? His eyes were watering and he desperately made noises that sounded like pleas for mercy. Cheryl let it go on for a minute before she dumped him unceremoniously on the floor. Listen up, little baby vampire. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to drop your claim against my clients and drag your sorry ass out of my office. You're going to find yourself a guild and beg them to let you join. If you're lucky, they'll hook you up with a nice juicy government contract or someone in the private sector that needs a strong but not terribly bright idiot like you. In return for a cut, they'll get the government off your back and, if you ever cross my path again, I will show you a whole new dimension of pain. Do you understand me? <sighs> Mr. Merrill crab-walked backwards from her immortal fury and scurried out of the office, running right into the janitorial staff coming out of the elevator. Cheryl walked out of the office and helped the young twenty-something man to his feet. Are you okay? Uh, yes, ma'am. Who was that? Oh, just another person trying to pull one over on fundamental insurance. I showed him the error of his ways. <laughs> well, it looks like you did more than that. You must have put the fear of God into him. She smiled. No, I'm a lawyer. I put the fear of me into him. You're new, aren't you? Uh, yes, ma'am. My name's Dylan. The temp agency said there'd be someone to show me around. It's very nice to meet you, Dylan. Call me Cheryl. Normally, my assistant would show you around, but I can handle it tonight. I'll show you the janitor's closet, and there's a bit of a mess in my office that needs cleaning up. Cheryl saw him shamelessly eyeing her left hand, looking for a wedding ring, and her smile grew bigger. It was nice to know that after all these years, she still had it. Maybe she wouldn't have to go out for dinner tonight. But it was getting more difficult to keep a decent janitor. 
beckoning him to follow, she put an extra sway in her hips. Come along, dear. The sooner we get you situated, the sooner I can grab a bite to eat. was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. This episode is running a little long, so we'll put off story feedback till next week so we can play this promo. Well Told Tales puts out original horror, sci-fi, or hard-boiled stories every other Thursday, and I'm a fan. I'm really looking forward to their short film that's coming up called Side Effects, scheduled to come out in early July. Until then, if you're a fan of Kevin Anderson's work here on the Drabblecast, you can find some more stories of his over there. Also, don't miss Christina Colligan's story, The Red Hurricane. Pretty cool. WellToldTales.com is your source for the pulpiest audio short stories on the internet. Twice a month we bring you an original tale in the horror, sci-fi, or hard-boiled genre. You can think of them as audiobooks, only shorter, 15 to 30 minutes long, perfect for your commute, your workouts, or whatever. And we now have extras including original comics, short films, and text stories. So spend a little quality time with cold-blooded killers, rampaging robots, and the walking dead at welltoldtales.com. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it with whoever you like. We rely on your generous support to help pay our authors and fly me to remote villages around the world whenever I hear about parasitic fish. So consider making a donation to us via our link on the website, www.drabblecast.org. There, you can also join our discussion forums and forge long-lasting virtual friendships with other usernames. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to always have a spotter when you noodle for a candy room. The evening saunters to closing, the waitress turns chairs upside down, piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts last round, an hour ago this place was loaded.